I was very excited from the start, and then it, everything started getting to me. And look, it was like it, yeah, it got, it was like it got emotional in the mix of trying to sign a freehold and and then finding out that we're having a baby. And it's, yeah, the, the stress does mount. Yeah, it's, I feel it's uh, very humbled and and you know gracious to have the opportunity to open yeah my dream restaurant. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Cooking over fire. It's the moment that transformed not only the way we eat, but triggered a key moment in the way we evolved too. In recent years, there's been a throng of chefs drawn to the flame of cooking over fire. And as such, it's becoming a key feature of our culinary offering. Jake Kelly is the chef and co-owner of RK in Adelaide, South Australia. Jake, how are you going? Good, bud. How are you? Good. You uh, caught the fire bug at a pretty young age uh, and were drawn to the industry. Tell us, tell us about that period of time and what, what lured you to that idea of cooking over fire. Yeah, for sure. I think it was, yeah, I think it was when I sort of got back from um, um, from England and I was working in a sort of small restaurant uh, in Fitzroy called The Commoner uh, in Melbourne. And um, the owners, Joe and Matt, had this beautiful sort of wood-fired oven out the back. And that was sort of my, you know, first introduction, uh, I would say, to fire. Um, And something that's really, yeah, grown on me for a few years now. Um, And it's taken me to some amazing places. Um, But, yeah, I think it just creates, you know, a new level of of deliciousness um, in food. And it's something that I'm, I'm really thriving on at the moment. The the idea of the Aussie barbecue is well known to all of us in Australia, but it's often associated with burning your eyebrows and overcooking sausages. But there's, tell us about the challenges of cooking over fire compared to um, cooking on a stove with gas or with induction or electric. Yeah, look, I think yeah, cook, well, obviously cooking over fire just creates obviously another complete new element. You know, I think having. You know, I, was, I sort of explained this to a, f- a friend, Max, the other day, you know, cooking with fire, just, you know, you can put a log of a, a timber, a log of wood on a fire and it can burn completely different. You have really no control of the heat. Um, you know, once you put a couple of logs on, you get this raging fire. But I think the main purpose is you want really good coals to cook over. Um, that's something that I, I learned very heavily on at, at Burn Ends uh, when I was up in Singapore for a few years. Um not obviously knowing too much about um, the controlling of heat. Um, Dave really stood, stared, like you know, stood me down the path of, you know, creating good coals is a really good thing. And um, if you don't have good coals, you you know, you're gonna have, find it pretty hard to cook over. So um, yeah, that was a big learning curve. Your career has uh, really um, shown you to be a bit of a globetrotter. Um, in regards to all the amazing venues that you've worked at, and we can get into that at, at some stage. But you grew up on the central coast of New South Wales. What was food like for you growing up? Oof. The old man used to make some good stews at home. Um, the old little de- the deviled sausage was always a go-to. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, I, I think my, sort of the passion definitely came from um, the old man. Um, he de- Mum never really touched, touched the kitchen. If mum ever cooked, it was meat pies in the oven, so... Um, dad, dad was a little bit more experimental in that case. Um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, from an early, you know, an early part when I was probably about, yeah, 12 or 13 and watching dad cook and 
doing the home sort of style cooking for me, my brother, and my sister um, was yeah, it was something I definitely enjoyed doing. Um, but obviously, I was very I was very sporty when I was young. So when I came home, Dad always had a, a plate the size of Mount Everest, and I'd always <laughs> eat it. So um, yeah, so definitely, um, I would say yeah, it came from my the old man's side and got me into cooking for sure. You went to the UK at a very young age and uh, worked in some restaurants. Tell us about that time and what impact it had on you. Yeah, look, it was. I kind of kicked myself a little bit um, that I went over there so young. I think I was, you know, I was doing a stage at the Fat Duck when I was uh, nineteen. Um, so yeah, and then moving from a, you know, a kitchen like that into the library, um, you know. They sort of weed through them. If you're not hard enough um, at the library, then you don't really last. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't obviously at the library for an immense amount of, of time. Um, I think I was just shy of a year. But, um, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, it was a very hard kitchen. And I wish I sort of toughed it out a little bit more. But, you know, I think everyone knows or every, every chef knows on how hard it can be, um, especially a few years ago in English kitchens. But, um yeah, I really thrived on the opportunity at the dark and at the library, and I sort of made my, you know, made it good when I was there. And you know, Brett's been a massive uh, mentor for me and um, an idol, I would say, in the way he approaches food. So, um, yeah, I was very, very, very honoured to be able to book, work in that kitchen for sure. Those, those early days when you came back to Australia, what were the real pivotal moments for you, and, and what kitchens were you in that sort of changed and transformed you? Yeah, I think uh, working with Scott. Um, Scott's, you know, is been amazing. I think uh, since that period, um, we've we've clicked very very well. Um, I worked for Scott at Estelle, and he reopened when it was Estelle Bistro. Um, so, yeah, that he's been, you know, yeah, he's been amazing. Like I was with him the other day. I threw it, showed him through the restaurant, and he just he's just got that knack of being able to walk into a venue and especially a new one or one that's about to open and just throw all these curveballs at you to actually start thinking about it. And it's something that you probably wouldn't necessarily see. So, um, yeah, Scott was definitely a pivotal moment. And I think, you know, the, that year that I was with Scott, I was fortunate enough to win Australian Young Chef of the Year. And, you know, he really pushed me in down, the, you know, down the path of being the chef I am today. So I thank him for that. Well, that was 2015 that you won uh, Young Chef of the Year with the uh, Appetite for Excellence program. Tell us about what it was like going through that and, and, you know, what impact that award had on you. Yeah, no, for sure. I think the whole program um, that was run at the time was, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing for young chefs. I think it was a really good, you know, I'd hate the word competition, but um it was definitely a good, you know, camaraderie. I met a lot of good people out of that, a lot of good producers and um, met people like yourself, um, which was great. So, um, yeah, that was a really good process to be a part of and the, the cooking side of things. You know, you, to win that, you've actually got to cook. So, um, yeah, it was a really good award to win. And after that, I was very fortunate enough in the prize was to travel overseas. Um, I, I used that as pretty much as an eating trip. I ate it. Uh, in total, I think it was 21 Michelin stars. Wow. Restaurants that I ate, yeah, over a period of time, or combined in total. So, yeah, like to Farvikin, to Noma, to Maymo. Um, um, and then I, you know, I stopped through in Singapore on my way and, you know, did Andre and a few other, and Burn Ends. So, and that's sort of how the, you know, the, the, the talk started with me and Dave, which was, you know, very exciting. So, 
but yeah, it was definitely a, a good pivotal moment in my career to win such a prestige award, and yeah, still very honoured to to have that title. So yeah, that opportunity to dine in um, so many amazing restaurants. Do you have any sort of real highlights that you can tell us about on that trip? Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think there was two good highlights. Um, when I ate at Mamo, um, I, I was been following like Espen for quite some time, and I ate there by myself. Um, and I ate all, nearly everywhere by myself, actually. Then I got like a nice little handwritten letter uh, from Espen and from Rene Redzepi um, when I was um, when I dined at Noma as well. So, yeah, you know, I think when you're, you know, when you're 23 years old and you know you get a little handwritten letter by you know so chefs of that caliber, you know, sort of gives you a few goosebumps. Um, and yeah, it was definitely a very exciting time. And um, and then obviously heading to to Farbican for a week stage as well and spending some time with uh, Magnus as well on the last night was, you know, was also very exciting. So, yeah, I was very chuffed for, in, in good, good hands on that trip for sure. The ingredients and techniques um, of that region in the world are very different to here in, in many ways. What, what's some of the memories you have of being in that kitchen and ingredients that you worked with that surprised you? Oh, the, I think the seafood is, you know, is absolutely phenomenal. You know, the cold waters of, you know, Scotland and, and even in Norway. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, it's second to none. It's absolutely stunning. And, you know, the king crab that they had at Favikern, um and other seafood items that I, I looked at, especially at Noma, because I think when I was there, it was, it was in their old site. Um, and a good friend, uh, Merrick, Merrick Anderson, who's still actually currently working for Rene, um, sort of brought out this massive seafood platter and, you know, king crab and razor clams and all these amazing seafood. I thought it was, you know, something that I'd never eaten before and, you know, it was a really big highlight. And and obviously the root cellar at, at Farbican was, you know, was amazing as well. So, you know, seeing all their preserves and, and pickles and all that kind of stuff was, um, yeah, was another good highlight and how they integrate that into their menu for sure. Winning uh, Young Chef of the Year in Australia isn't the only accolade that you've um, you've got you've, that you've received. Uh, you've also won um, Young Chef of Southeast Asia. You placed second in the world in Milan as well. You've got a pretty um, pretty full trophy cabinet. T- take us to Milan with that um, cooking competition where they have young chefs from all over the world, and and tell us about your signature dish that sort of uh, wowed the judges so much. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it sort of started in started in Singapore. Um, I didn't really sort of have an option. Uh, Pinto was very much adamant that I had to do it. And he's like, you, you know, if you don't do it, you'll lose all your tips and service for the rest of the year. And I was like, well, fuck, that's not happening. <laughs> so um, I was jumped straight onto it. So, um, yeah, leading up into the sort of the regionals, Dave was, you know, p- p- very pushing me. He was making me do my dish at least two or three times a week. So, um, cause he, you know, he wanted me to win and he wanted me to succeed and which was great to have a boss that's so, um, motivated behind you. So yeah, it was, um, I'll never forget it. I was, uh, we were doing the 12 chef, uh, 12 months, um, and we had James Lowe in the kitchen and, um, I was, I, I didn't get to be a part of that dinner because the award ceremony was on that night. Um, so the kitchen was hectic and, um, I went out and was fortunate enough to win and, and then I basically Dave got on the blower. He said, congratulations. And he goes, bring, bring everyone back to burn ends. We're having a party. <laughs> so there was like, you know, uh, myself, Tets, uh, Richard Ekebus, uh, Shelley, um, we all went back to, 
went back to Burn Ends and had this massive party with James and all the guests that turned into a, a late night chili crab feast down in um in Kyongsak. So yeah, it was um yeah that first sort of moment uh, winning that award was you know was very good. Um, and then moving forward onto Milan, um, Dave kept pushing me and pushing me, and yeah, gave me the, the time that for me to actually really focus on it and give it a good give it a good crack. And you know, Richard, who was my mentor uh, from Hong Kong, um, yeah, he's he's second to none. You know, he's got a world of experience, and you know, he used to do bakus as well back in the day. So yeah, having someone like him in, in my corner was a very big help, and. Uh, my dish was um, an eight, an aged pigeon dish, which you know I sort of wanted to show again who I was as a chef um, and integrate that Australian flair. So I used about five different types of native Australian ingredients, um, and yeah, comprised that to a, a, a big dish. So there was an aged pigeon done in strawberry gum and native pepper berries. There was a little compote made with rye berries. Wattle seed was involved and beetroot. I used pigeon because you know. I, I love eating game. I think it's a, something that doesn't probably get recognised as much, um, especially obviously in Australia. But um, yeah, there was something I just love cooking as well. And I took I, I took like twenty kilos of jarrah wood from burnt ends and cooked it over fire um, in the in the in the competition, which was really great. And um, yeah, obviously the judges were second to none. You had Dominique Cren, um, you had Paul Perret, Paul Bray, you had Anna Ross. Brett was there, um, so yeah, like it was a very intimidating lineup to say the least. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it's um, it was an amazing experience, and you know, hanging out with you know even Massimo on one night for watching some dinners, like it was you know twenties, I think I was twenty six, twenty seven at the time. It's um, a few years ago now, but it was something that will live for me forever. It was such an amazing moment to be a part of, and just not that, just the judges. It was also, you know, Scott was there as well because he was the the mentor for Asian Pacific. So John Riviera was the contestant and just, you know, having Digger there as well was, you know, was a great experience. Cause you know, I think there was like two, five minutes to go, 10 minutes to go. And then you always hear Digger saying, come on, fucking hurry up. It was just brought back, brought back a few memories. So, um, um, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, it was a great experience. And to come second, um, yeah, you know, I've still pinched myself. It's, it was an amazing moment, especially when my mum and dad were there at the time as well. So, yeah, it was something that will live for me for a long time. That uh, tour you did of, of the world to eat in all those amazing restaurants, as you mentioned, included a stopover in Singapore. But Singapore kind of changed things for you as well uh, as a chef and it, and it drew you to uh, eventually become the head chef at Burnt Ends with Dave Pint. Tell us about the impact Singapore had on you and, and how it changed your cookery. Yeah. Look, it's Singapore is amazing. I think I still, I still say to my partner, um, most days I do miss it. Um, you know, it's burn ends is this restaurant that is a machine. It, you know, the ovens are still hot when you come in the morning. It never sleeps. Um, so to walk, you know, that, that place really, you know, got a good grasp on me and I was very, I was very into it. I was very into, you know, cooking over fire, um, working the staff that we had were just all slayers. They all can cook. Like my, my sous chef, when I first got there, uh, Deborah, like she was a year older than me, but she's been with Dave for a few years, two years, I think before me, like she could cook like whole 20, 
like, you know, 20 kilos leg of pork in a cold oven, bang on 52. Like it was just incredible, like, of what Dave was teaching these guys. And then I, I jumped on that straight away and sort of, you know, gained as much knowledge as I can, I could out of, you know, the, the staff that were there and, and out of Dave. So it was, you know, it was, yeah, still amazing. I still, you know, very stoked to have worked there and, and be under Dave as head chef. And, um, you know, the, the stuff that, you know, the opportunities, the opportunities that he gave me. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll never get that again from, from a boss. So yeah, it's put him in very high regard. Pinto is, um, yeah, he's amazing. You eventually came back to Australia and um, you had a role at Mimi's at Coogee Pavilion, which sort of flied in the face of the more casualization of dining and really went for a top shelf offering. What was it like in that big open kitchen in that sort of really opulent dining room? Yeah, look, it was good. I think I was, what did I say? I was definitely like, very confused of like where I was sort of direction I was going. I had, um, you know, after Bernan's had a very good opportunity to go to New York, um, and take over as head chef at Estella. Um, so, you know, going over to New York for four days and things sort of didn't align. I came back, you know, quite disjointed. I was just a bit not sure where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And, um, so I, after four, four days in New York, generally takes a lot of money out of your pocket as well. So um, I sort of, yeah, definitely need a job. And, you know, I, I'd cooked for Justin before up at Burn Ends. So I sort of reached out to Juzzy and then he put me in touch with Jordan. And, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was very, you know, good to open a restaurant, um, especially something of the caliber of what Mimi's is. Um, and, yeah, it was good to be in an environment working with a, you know, a good bunch of boys again, um, you know, Sam Parsons, Jeffrey DeRome, like Jeff's, you know, ex-Rockpool, ex-Mike McKerney, like, yeah, just a really all-star lineup and Jacob Davey as well. So I was very, you know, very passionate um, to be involved in that company as well, of good chefs. So, um, yeah, and obviously you saw the kitchen, like it's absolutely stunning. The venue is absolutely gorgeous and, yeah, I've got, I've got got a lot of good mates out of that. And I think when sort of um, COVID hit um, and when everything went into shutdown, that was sort of a, I don't know, a bit of a, a bit of a turning point for myself. Um, you know, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't want to, you know, the last three years of burn ends just to sort of go to waste and and fall into into more of a, you know, a comfortable job. I wanted to keep pushing myself and. Um, yeah, that's sort of one of the reasons sort of ended up in Adelaide. Well, you've been there for a little while now. Um, tell us about what it's been like um, living in Adelaide and becoming part of that hospitality uh, industry. Yeah. Um, look, yeah, the heartless start was, um, yeah, it was, it was it was pretty hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, I just, I've, you know, fell into a role probably, yeah, that was, um, probably probably not suited to me as much and you know I t- finished up there pretty quickly and um, yeah look I was a bit down in the dumps and it was a big move to make and I just moved my whole life here and um, got in touch with some really good people um, Michael Cameron and Jack Cameron the owners of Pirate Life Fury um, and some, yeah met them down in Port Adelaide one afternoon and they were like you know what are you doing and I was like look I don't know I'm a you know had a pretty rough few months. I'm just 
going to just see what happens. Um, and during this time, I've met my beautiful partner, Anna. Um, so I didn't really want to up and leave and head back to Sydney because uh, Justin was uh, definitely at me to come back and, and do something good. But, um, yeah, I sort of buried my roots in here. The boys at Pirate Life offered me a really good opportunity to do a pop-up over summer. And um, I was like, yeah, cool, that sounds good. Um, so they, you know, hired me a food truck um, and then they built me probably the best grill setup I've ever worked on in my career. And they built this at the brewery for me. And then, yeah, I just did a pop-up for, you know, four months over summer. Um, yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, cooked everything over fire, um, five dishes, and, yeah, absolutely killed it. Tell us about some of those dishes that you were cooking. Oh, like, like I think one night, one we for Pirate Life birthday, like I cooked a whole leg of my Euro beef. I was there like 2.30 2 in the morning, um, served it at 1 p.m. that afternoon. Um, that was that's something yeah, that was absolutely delicious. Um, yeah, we just kept it really simple. Like I want it to be – I still want to stay you know, true to myself and cook everything over fire, and we didn't have a deep fryer – we didn't have anything like that in the truck. Um, so we just, you know, gave the punters what they want. So we did like beautiful like buttermilk brine lamb shoulders and did like a Slovaki. Um, but everything again, all touched over fire. Um, we did like a Wagyu beef bagel. Um, sort of like a bit of fun stuff that I probably would necessarily do if I was in, say, a restaurant. But I think that's what made it fun about it. And, you know, pippies cooked over the coals, tossed in exo sauce and, um yeah, just sort of fun stuff that would also go well with the beer. Um, so, yeah, it was a good opportunity and then um, did a few good events in that meantime as well. So, it was, yeah, it was definitely, yeah, a very fun period. Um, and I had my sous chef, uh, Zach, with me at the time. So, it sort of all, you know, linked up. And, um, and then I got to meet um, my business partner, Marty, at that time as well. Did coming back to Australia after a period working overseas with such different ingredients, did it reinvigorate your love for Australian produce and producers? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I think you know, I was very, like just back, like a few weeks ago, I, was, I actually got the thought to like, sit down with Lennox um, over tasting Australia. And he just really, he said a few things, a couple of sentences about produce and on how lucky we are in South Australia to have such unique growers and, and beautiful ingredients. And it just, it like, it sort of clicked for me and like, it's been so nice to, to have that again. Um, and especially being in Singapore, you know, everything's flown in, you know, nothing's grown there. You know, there's no cattle. You can't just go and say, Oh, I'm going to go get some beef today. You know, everything's imported and it takes, you know, five to seven days to come. So, um, you know, it might be winter in Australia and, you know, summer in bloody, you know, in England or something and you're getting, you know, you're getting completely different opposite produce. So, you know, to come back to Australia and have a season again, um, it's, yeah, it's very exciting. It's um, to work to seasons again. It's really good. And the producers down here are, are really good. Like Naringa have got a beautiful, you know, biodynamic organic farm up at Mount Barker, which I go to quite regularly. Um you know, beautiful beef, Mayura, Nomad Farms, like seafood, lobsters from Port Lincoln. We were getting lobsters at like a, at Pirate Life. I was doing a lobster special and we were getting for, we were giving them for 38 bucks a kilo because the export market was gone. So, you know, having, you know, having that 
during that period as well, ha- still having everything in your in your state that's not you know getting exported was actually really really good because you know they had to obviously move the products. So um, you know I really jumped on that when I could and and yeah I was cooking a whole lot of lobsters over the grills of pirate life. <laughs> so it wasn't a, wasn't bad at all. So it's definitely um, yeah very much grown on me. You know since I've been back, especially in South Australia. Um, yeah, how good this state is for produce. So it's great. Well, you're um, now working with the Palmer Hospitality Group that have 2KW, Paloma, Fishbank. Tell us about uh, the discussions early on with them and, and the creation of RK. Yeah. So I met Marty and um, a guy named Ed Peters. Um, they came down to the brewery one day and an MC comes up to me and was like, oh, you, you, you need to meet this guy. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, just plugging away, doing my thing. And he's like, his name's Marty Palmer. He's got a few restaurants in the city. And I've sort of vaguely heard of him before. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you know. Oh, but anyway, I met Marty. He was like, oh, you know, we should catch up and have a bit of a chat. And his other business partner, Ed Peters, I used to cook for at Burn Ends quite a lot um, because he owns a company called uh, Straight Wine. And it used to operate out of Duxton Hill, which was just up around the corner from Burn Ends. And so he, Ed used to come quite a lot. Um, anyway, they had I cooked him the whole menu from the truck. And Marty come over and goes, we need to chat. And then Ed sort of told him that you need to hire this guy. Anyway, cut long story short, two weeks went by and I didn't hear anything from him. And I was like, oh, you know, I won't, you know, I won't worry about it. I'll just do the truck and we'll see what happens after that. And then uh, Marty slung me a text out of, out of pretty much out of nowhere and was like, oh, do you want to come have a look at a site with me? And I was like, yeah, all right. Anyway, I had a chat with my partner and she was like, yeah, well, let's just go see what he has to say and we'll, we'll go from there. And then I met him at 127, the parade in Norwood. Um, Marty, he loves the site. It is a, it's a very stunning building. Um, it's all heritage listed. Uh, from the outside, so it has this beautiful facade at the front. And I walked in, I was like, I was like, bloody hell, it's big. It's, um, <laughs> so it's a big site. And then, it, then, you know, I sort of fell in love with it from the start. As soon as I walked in, once I got a saw pass on the size, um, I looked at, you know, the structure of what the place had. The bones of the building were amazing. Um, and the natural light in the venues, incredible. And the little courtyard we have out the back, it's I started to see, you know, my, my vision. I started, started to see a restaurant and that's when I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's do this properly. And then we went and had a beer and, um, I sort of told him my vision and, you know, what I wanted to be. And I think the biggest part is that I wanted to be an owner of a restaurant and then Marty's eyes sort of <laughs> lit up and, um, um, and then, yeah, we got, we got talking and yeah. And then that we started the conversations in probably September, September, October last year. And yeah, we, you know, obviously I announced the restaurant yesterday. So it's taken, it's taken some time and, um, very fortunate that we, we brought the property. So we brought the freehold, um, of this amazing site. So yeah, big, um, <laughs> yeah, big investment, um, um, that me and my partner have done, but, um, yeah, very, um, yeah, very happy with the outcome and, and yeah, so it's um it's going to be very exciting. We're in for we're in for a good ride. Well, what's it been like creating your very first restaurant? Oh, man, it's pretty. Um, I was very excited from the start, and then it daunted. Like everything started getting to me, and 
Look, it was like it, yeah, it got it's like it got emotional. Um, it's a big, you know, for most people we're expecting our first first baby this year later in the year, uh, which is very exciting as well. So me and my partner having a baby boy. Um, so yeah, you know, in the mix of trying to sign a freehold and and um, and then finding out that we're having a baby and it's, yeah, the, the stress does mount. Um, but yeah, look, I think that was where Marty sort of, you know came into hand and, you know, he's been absolutely amazing. Um, Marty's sort of kept us calm and really taking us through the process of, you know, how to open a restaurant and, and what, what it takes, um, especially from a business side of things. Uh, Marty's obviously got a few a few places in Adelaide um, that are, you know, very well respected. He's, he's very much a businessman um, and that's sort of the side that I wanted to learn about. Um, and grow and he's been um, yeah there the whole way so when we did ever get into pickles or you know talking about our agreements and the JV and all this kind of stuff he's always put it back into perspective and kept us really calm and 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 motivated so um, but yeah look it's um, yeah it's I feel it's uh, very humbled and and you know gracious to have the opportunity to open yeah my dream restaurant well tell us a bit about your vision for RK and, and the sort of food people can expect from, yeah. from the kitchen. Look, RK is, um, yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a really amazing site and venue. Um, so everything will be cooked over fire. Um, so yeah, there's no gas, there is no electricity um, for, for the cooking line. So we're pure going straight fire, which is exciting. Um, we've got a guy named Sam, He's called the Brick Chef. He will be designing sort of about a three and a half ton wood oven for us. Um, so sort of similar to the ovens that I used to work out with in, in Burn Ends and also very similar to the ones at Echibari in Spain. Um, so it's a dual, dual cab oven. Um, so it's a furnace on one side, which will reach up to about eight to 900 degrees per night, which will be a furnace to produce our coals for our grills. Um, and then we have a big open hearth um, as well. So... Yeah, it's um yeah very exciting to be able to slot back into something that I feel comfortable with, especially in a restaurant setting, um, and just cook the way I used to be able to cook at burn ends, and um, to have that freedom as well, and to really push push the boundaries. So, um, but yeah, look, we also still want to stay stay humble to that approach of being a neighbourly restaurant. Uh, we are in Norwood on the parade, so you know everyone was known for Stone Throw and Grace Establishment for that. Uh, so I still want um, I still want customers to come by and still have a cocktail and um, a snack in the front bar, and still remind them remind customers of that that we are that that neighbourly restaurant. I think that's the most important thing. Um, but if people sort of want to, I don't know, experiment a little bit more or let their taste buds flow, you know, they can um, they can come into the dining room and and we'll give them what they want. So I think the main goal is to always have delicious, tasty food and, and look after our guests. With that greater connection that you've uh, developed since you've been in South Australia with, with uh, producers and growers and fishers and farmers, um, give us a sense of what have you, the, the sort of dishes that might be on the menu. Have you, have you already uh, given some thought to that or spent some time in the kitchen to develop some recipes for the... Yeah, for sure. We've me and Zach um, sat down a few weeks ago, and we've um, we're probably nearly seventy five percent on a full menu, um, which is really good. 
we are very fortunate we're putting in like a built-in bandsaw in the kitchen so we can you know cut nice good steaks or pork or you know whole racks so people can enjoy a larger cut um, but we also still have the opportunity if people to do want a smaller steak i'm a big fan of cooking secondaries as well um so i'm glad you know it cuts like that so um but still obviously still you know having very influence on seafood and vegetables um a dish I did before with Yarra Valley, um, Brook Trout Row, the Crumpet will be there. I've got to do these ocean jacket cheeks on toast, which are delicious. Um, whole fishes um, will be important. We'll be bringing in some whole turbots from New Zealand. We're still obviously going to be using quite a lot of local um, produce, but we'll also bring stuff in from out of state because um, that's just something that I do love cooking with. Um, whole big fish from Lakes Entrance or from Victoria or um, on the West coast as well. So yeah, I think menus still are developing, but, um, we've also taken a bit of asp- um, inspiration from a restaurant in, um, in, uh, Copenhagen called Cadeau. Um, I ate there a few years ago and, um, they had this massive, I remember walking to the dining room. I looked at this wall of like pickles and ferments and, um, all the garums and everything across the wall. So we do have like a, an iconic table in the restaurant, the chef's table, which will be going in and the back of the wall will be all um, preserves and pickles and ferments all in this back wall that people can, can look at. So, and still having that connection to the kitchen as well and in, in such a unique, you know, in, unique building. So, but yeah, very, um, yeah, very keen, very keen to get stuck into it. <laughs> well, uh, you work, I know you're working on it at the moment. When, when is the expected opening of RK? Expecting opening, it's looking like probably late September or early October. So, um, yeah, it's still, um, yeah, we've got probably about a four-month build um, and demo should start next week. Um, so I think once we get that going, um, you know, we'll be, we can move pretty quickly. So I'm very stoked for um, a design company called Studiogram to be on board. Um, they've designed, you know, some really beautiful uh, restaurants in Adelaide. Uh, f- most recent one is Fregazzi, the Simon Kadachi Group, um, Chabot Show. You know, there's good restaurants in Adelaide that have been designed by them. And um, that was something Marty was, you know, whether we pushed on money to use Studiogram because they're such a, a unique architect firm. Um, and what they've designed is, yeah, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really amazing. So really looking forward to it. Well, I'm sure a lot of people in Adelaide and Australia are looking forward to it as well, Jake. We've uh, we've loved having you on uh, Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll do, mate. We'll catch up with you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Huck. Appreciate it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.